0: I have a story for you this morning before we get into our text and this is a story I came across this week in the news uh, and I just felt it was it was actually a long form story uh, and as I read it, I was just captivated by it, and I realized after reading it that it really is is kind of a picture of what we're going to be talking about today, and so I thought I'd share it with you because um, it was. Like I said, it was a great story. So um, the story is about a man named Ron Bolin. And get my screen here. All right. Ron Bolin uh, is, uh, he's a professor. He's a university professor at the University of Oklahoma, which (laughs) is not the same as OSU. If he was a professor at OSU, we would not be speaking his name (laughs) today. OSU beat Boise State last night, if you're not in the loop on that. Um, Barely, but it was still a win. Uh, Anyway, he is a professor at uh, University of Oklahoma, and in the summers... Uh, he has taken to a new hobby over the last like three or four years, which is whenever, he, we, during the summer, he travels to different states and he uh, he summits, he hikes the tallest peak in that state. So for example, if you were in Boise, that would be, or your, if you're in Idaho, that would be Mount Bora. Um, but he, on July 13th of this summer, he was doing what he expected to be a 12-hour hike uh, he was hiking Boundary Peak in Nevada, so that's in the Boundary Peak wilderness, uh, but it's a pretty rugged, it, you know, he'd been, he'd been working his way up to more aggressive type of hikes, he'd been doing some smaller ones to start with. Uh, Boundary Peak is, a, is a, a pretty rugged place to be hiking. Uh, the, the total elevation at the summit is 13,146 feet, which, um, to, to give you a little bit of scale, that's 500 feet taller than Mount Bora. Anybody hike Mount Bora before? few of you? Yeah, a couple. Um, I've hiked, hiked Bora a few times. I can tell you that even at that elevation, when you're summiting that quickly as a day hike, you feel the altitude pretty quickly. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not a thing you get to adjust to. It's, it's aggressive. And so, this is 500 feet higher than Mount Bora. Um, that particular day, there was only one other hiker that was on the mountain, And in fact, that week, there was only five people that attempted to summit. According to the the logbook that the Forest Service has there, only five people attempted to summit that that week. So Boland set out early in the morning. He was carrying on him, expecting it to be a day hike. He was carrying four liters of water, uh, water for purification tablets, for if he found a stream to refill his water. He had a a cliff bar. It it was a white chocolate macadamia nut cliff bar, (laughs) just for the record. and a protein cookie. So as far as food, he had a, a cliff Bar and a protein cookie. He also had rain gear, he had a first aid kit, and he had his phone, which would prove to have um, a signal, like very spotty coverage, obviously he's out there in the wilderness, but he was able to get a signal at the very top. Um, and so, the, as it turned out, the hike ended up being much more difficult than he had anticipated and prepared for. In fact, he, he almost turned back uh, with about 600 vertical feet left before the summit, um, which is actually about the height of Mount Bora. Uh, But he he almost turned back, and then he decided to to press through. And having done that, he took this selfie on top of the mountain, uh, (laughs) which is, I think that's his, like, I did it face. I can't believe I did it. And he sent that to one of his closest friends, a guy named Mark McConnell who was actually in Houston. Uh, Mark was a, a, a friend of his, actually going back to his college days. They'd been friends for a long time and was also an experienced hiker. So he, he texted him this, this photo and a text, and he said, I, I made it. Uh, I'll text you when I get to the bottom, or I'll call you and I'll tell you the whole story because there's a whole story involved here that I'm, I'm summarizing a lot. This was a long-form story. Um, but he that I'll tell you the whole story. So uh, he also had a... a uh, um, uh, a policy that with his daughters, he has twin daughters, that he would call them. He texted them from the beginning of the trail and when he got to the end. So that was the plan. Um, but that was the last they heard from him. And so by morning time, uh, McConnell became pretty alarmed that he hadn't heard a text from his friend. He sent him a text and it came back unanswered and so he became a little bit alarmed. They reached out to the sheriff department, the local sheriff's department. They sent a car out, and what they found is that his vehicle was still there at the trailhead. So when you find a a vehicle at the trailhead that was supposed to be doing a day hike the next day, that's a bad sign, Uh, and that put in motion a, a search party, and over the next few days, uh, his daughters, from where they lived, they would begin blitzing social media. They were reaching out to all of his hiking friends and letting the hiking community know what, that he was missing. Uh, and then three of his closest friends, including Mark McConnell, but two other friends as well. And these friends, they were all his closest friends. They did not all know one another. Okay? But they all, they all made their way to Nevada to uh, be a part of the search and rescue effort. So all three friends um, would make their way there. Two of them were from Texas, one was from Oklahoma. McConnell was actually the first of the three friends to arrive. I think he arrived on, on what would have been day three. So this began on July 13th. He arrived on July 15th and spent that day trying to help the search efforts, looking for, uh, for his friend. At the end of the day, he, you know, he hadn't found him, and so he was trying to find a place to stay. And he was making his way to a hotel in one town and, and almost ran out of gas. And so he actually had to turn and, and make his way to a different town and ended up staying in, a, in like an RV park there instead of the hotel that he was intending to. And then uh, while he was there, and this is important to the story, while he was there, he, there was a little cafe next door. It was called the Boonies Restaurant and Saloon. The Boonies Restaurant and Saloon. So he went over there and grabbed a meal, um, which he would then do the subsequent nights of his time there in Nevada as well. So meanwhile, the search parties were going out every day. There was a special... Um, Um, Let's see, I just lost my place here. Uh, Meanwhile, search parties were going out every day. There was a special high elevation helicopter was sent out um, that crashed. So here's what had happened to McConnell, or here's what happened to to Boland. Uh, When he was making his way down the summit, he was trying to get around a rock outcropping and fell, and fell quite a ways down. And it was a pretty steep incline. And so he, he had a choice at that moment. Do, do I, I climb back up to the trail or do I just make my way across this way thinking that I'll intersect the trail? He chose to do that. Well, he, he never found the trail. And so basically he was lost on the mountain and spending the night there. So uh, his, again, his friend and his daughters are alarmed. Uh, county sheriff found him or found his car um, in retrospect, the problem is, as they were searching for him for, for what began as, you know, began as a search and rescue effort, eventually those search and rescue efforts in terrain like this, they become not like rescue, but more of a, we're going to retrieve a body. Um, because at that sort of extreme hot temperatures during the day, extreme cold temperatures at night, it just people don't last many days in an environment like that. And so uh, this would play out over the next three days with diminishing hopes, the finding Bolin alive, um Bolin was alive, though, and uh, after the fourth day on the mountain, he was preparing for his fourth night in the wilderness, and he was in pretty bad shape. In fact, he was in really bad shape. Uh, his feet were blistered and bloody. He'd had nothing to eat. He was hallucinating and hearing things. Uh, he, and one, one night, as he was falling asleep, he heard the sound of a generator, and he thought, oh, that's got to be the search party. They must be real nearby. And then, in retrospect, the search party never had a generator. So, um, so he was hallucinating things. He had seen a helicopter. And as a, a, in the, what happened is that at that sort of altitude, not all, all helicopters can fly at that altitude. And so they had to, to get a special uh, high altitude one. And that one had actually crashed as well. And the four crew members had survived. But now they, there was a rescue effort to try and find them as well. So, so he was seeing, oops, excuse me. He was seeing a helicopter going back and forth. It was actually looking for the crew of the other helicopter and was searching in the wrong area. So um, he could only cover a little bit of ground each day before having to stop. He was exhausted. He hadn't had anything to eat. Uh, and so he could just cover a little bit of ground, and then he would pass out without ex- an exhaustion. He'd scribbled goodbye notes to his daughters on his pant legs um, because he, he anticipated that they would find a body and be able to get a message to his daughters. He went to sleep on the fourth night, expecting not to live through the night. And that same night, this is the fourth night, so this is the, the night of the 16th. Um, his, his three friends had met up. They, they had been searching together. And they got, went to dinner that night back at the Boonies Saloon. And there was a waitress there named Destiny. And Destiny the waitress overheard their conversation as she'd overheard other conversations, sheriffs and other people that were part of the search parties over the last few days and um as a local she had made some deductions and what she had realized is she she believed they were searching in the wrong place for him they were actually searching for him on the california side this this mountain actually borders california in fact in fact uh, boundary peak used to be in california and then there was a geological survey where they redrew the state line and it moved the state line to the other side of boundary peak and so now that's when boundary peak became the highest peak in nevada and so, but they were searching on the California side. They had anticipated, they tried to figure out where in this, you know, rugged terrain do we search for him? They thought he'd most likely gotten lost there. Well, Destiny, the waitress, realized, I, I think they're searching in the wrong place. So she came over to the three friends and she interrupted them and she said, um, the, you're searching for him in the wrong place. And they looked at him and they said, what? And she pointed to their map and she put her finger on their map and she said, you should be looking right here. And then, and then she, she explained to him her thinking, and, and then she told him about this forest road that they could use to get there. So here's a picture of the forest road. In the morning, Bolan's three friends made their way out this forest road. When they came to the, the dead end uh, where the road dead ended, they stopped, they parked, they got out their gear and began for another day of searching. Now, Bolin, meanwhile, he'd gone to sleep the night before thinking he probably wasn't going to make it through the night. He was surprised to wake up in the morning, uh, surprised to still be alive. Uh, although he was still hallucinating and hearing things. First of all, he heard the, um, the beeping of a car door being locked, which um, he knew wasn't possible where he was. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, he saw three figures making their way towards him. And so he's hallucinating thinking, could, could this actually be a rescue party or is this just a hallucination? And then as they got closer, he began to recognize that this was three of his closest friends, two of which didn't even know one another. And so then it was pretty clear it was a hallucination. And then, as they got closer, he he's, he said to them. He, he stood up and he said, "Are you real?" And he repeated three times, "Are you real? Are you real?" His friends pretty much tackled him in tears. That they'd actually they were expecting at this point a recovery. They were expecting to recover a body, not to find him. And so this was an amazing moment. So uh, here's a picture of the four together. Uh, left to right, that's Jim Webb, Ron Bolin, Mark McConnell. So, Ron Bolin is the second there from the left. He's the missing hiker. Mark McConnell is the third one over, and then Brad Schick. So, they got him medical attention. They, of course, reached out to his daughters to let them know their, their father was alive. They'd found his father alive, or her father alive. Um, but reflecting on how, and here's the key point reflecting on what happened, each of the three friends recognized that what had happened was more than just good luck. Here's what they said. Brad Schick, he said, you can't come up with any other conclusion than it's some type of miracle. I mean, a waitress in a smoky little bar named Destiny? Jim Webb said, this is a God thing. There is no such thing as luck. And Mark McConnell said, there were so many things that had to fall into place for us to find Ron and it had very little to do with my actual search efforts my value really was the setup to allow God's guiding hand to lay events in our path. Do you hear how these three friends recognized that they, they did what they, could, what they could do for their friend? This was a, a one-anothering moment where they did for their friend what they knew their friend would do for them. And then at the same time, they knew that there was something bigger, that, that, that if there was going to actually be deliverance and rescue for their friend, it was going to take a, a move of God. And that brings us to our, our, our final message in our series. We've been in a nine-part series on the one-anotherings in Scripture. Okay, we've, we've, we've been going through the one-anotherings, and we haven't comprehensively gone through all of them, but these are instructions to members of God's household. Okay, you've got to think about this. This is brothers and sisters with a shared Heavenly Father. And this is instructions about how we are to live within His household, about our life together. And so we've been looking at all of these, these one another's. And, uh, I'm just going to recap really quickly. We began with love one another. And we started there because this, this first week was love one another because uh, that, all of them the others are just going to basically be expressions of that. Okay, what, are, what's, what are the two greatest commandments? Love God, love others, love people, love others. And so we started with this very first command. What what should our life be reflective of? We should love one another. We started there. Next, we went into basically various expressions of what that loving one another might look like. We we, we said, let's live in harmony with one another. Uh, Let's welcome, week three was welcome one another to the table despite differences over the menu. Um, Week number four was help one another. Week five was greet one another. Week six was forgive one another. And week seven, we we actually went through in our devotions. We didn't have a Sunday message about it because we had a kind of a topical message that morning. But week seven was um, was submit to one another. Week eight was provoke one another to good works. That last phrase is really important. (laughs) Pastor Brent took us through that message last week and just a fabulous message with a lot of application. But provoke one another to good works, not just provoke one another. Which brings us to our final week, which is pray for one another. And here's what I want to clarify on the front end. This uh, praying for one another, we didn't put this at the end of the series because it's our last resort when we've tried everything else. As in, P.S., after you've helped one another, welcomed one another, provoked one another to good works, you know, uh, all all those other one another's, if, if there's nothing else that you can do, then by all means also pray, okay? That's not the idea. No, actually, it's our final one another because this is the pinnacle. This is the pinnacle of the ways in which we love one another. This is, it's the climax of our series, and it's perhaps the highest form of loving one another. I love that this series was bookended in this way, that we began with love one another, and it ends with pray one for one another. The thing is, because we're such rational creatures, and I think especially, especially living in a Western world, because we're so grounded in our senses, what we can... Uh, what's, what's what we can, you know, process rationally and what we can actually do. We're doers for the most part in our culture. We often, we often try and do everything else and prayer is neglected until we've exhausted every other means of help. I was, I was actually personally convicted of this this week as um, I was going through our daily devotions that Pastor Mike wrote this week. We have daily devotions every week. Sometimes Pastor Mike writes them, sometimes Rhianna Freeman writes them, but, um, this week was Pastor Mike, and a number of times he touched on the fact that we often treat prayer as a last resort. And, and, and it shows up in subtle ways. You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and so I, I, I get asked to pray for people. I do pray for people. I value prayer. But Mike said something in the devotions one day that, that actually kind of, I thought, oh, yeah, there is something there for me. And he, and he, he referenced the fact that sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll ask a question like, well, um, is there anything that I can do besides pray? And, you know, there's a little bit of an edge to that. And I thought of times where, where recently where I was talking with people who were facing desperate circumstances, and I said, well, is there anything, you know, we want to do something, we want to help one another. And so I said, is there, is there anything that I can do besides pray? And I think our question should actually be, I'm going to pray for you, and is there anything else I can do? I'm going to pray for you. Not not I'm going to pray for you, but is there something I can do? I'm going to pray for you. And is there anything else? Mike closed Wednesday's devotions with this prayer. He said, Lord, this is a prayer for us to share together. Lord, banish from within me the notion of prayer as a formality, prayer as a last resort, prayer as a religious exercise to somehow score points with you. Reframe it as as the simple means by which I am graced to strike the first of many dominoes, setting in motion a train of events in your hands that can unlock impossible doors and serve as a catalyst to do things I could not even imagine. Remind me today that prayer unleashes angels through Jesus. You know, I I got to the end of that story about Bolin and his friends, and I read the friends' comments where they Clearly, these are, are men of faith. Actually, Bolin, Bolin's faith never surfaces in the story. I'm not sure if he was praying. I, I suspect when you're lost on the mountain, whether, if you weren't a man of faith before, when you're lost on a mountain, you become a man of faith, right? But his friends were, and, and some of the connections, you know, you think when Mike talks about dominoes falling through prayer, you know, there was this thing that seemed like a happenstance. Uh, Mark was making his way to one town where he was going to stay the night and he ran out of gas. And so he had to turn and go to a different town and stay there. And that's where he began his pattern of eating at that saloon where he met destiny. Had he not run out of gas, he would have gone to a different place and never ended up at that place. So he, in looking back, he looked at that and said, God, that was you. That's what he means when he, that's what he, means when he says, I, I was just a, kind of along for the ride. God did the heavy lifting. Sometimes we only see these things in retrospect, but what if we could learn as we mature in our faith to actually participate with God intentionally on the front end? I believe that as we mature in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we should learn to see prayer not as a last resort, but as our first resort. So with that in mind, I have a few brief points that talk about um, just trying to bring prayer to the forefront of our lives together, not as an afterthought. Prayer is a part of our lives, I'd like to see it become more of the forefront. I do want to note as I do this that our model for discipleship, our model for for growing as followers of Jesus, or sometimes we say disciples, sometimes we say apprentices to Jesus, but our model for growth is not just about what happens on Sunday mornings. We recognize that Sunday mornings only really is that effective if it supplements and complements what's going on in the rest of our week. And so with that in mind, we, we, you know, many of us have our own, our own daily rhythms of how we engage with God and make space for God to speak to us, to draw us close to him, to transform us, to send us. We, we all have those rhythms, but as a church, we have our daily devotions that I've referenced a couple times here that Pastor Mike and, and also Rihanna write for us. And really those are designed in, in kind of bite-sized ways to keep us in a passage or in a concept before we discuss it together on Sunday because that's where we can actually see like those two things work really well together. And I want to say like some weeks I just become aware of of how important that model is. This is a week where Pastor Mike was he just covered so much ground in this concept of prayer that we can't we just can't hit it all today. And how, what does it look like for us to pray for one another? And he gave different models, he gave different scriptures, and it was just so rich. So I just want to acknowledge we can't cover it all today and we're not supposed to. So if you are not familiar with our devotional model, what I would encourage you is to to find that online. You can find it on our website. It's very easy with our uh, new and improved website. You can search and you can find the devotions. It's pretty um, user-friendly. So we're going to start with our text for this morning, though, in James chapter 5, and it goes like this. James 5, 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He gives an example of, here's an example of a righteous person and cover over a multitude of sins. This is God's word. I want you to note that he, James covers a lot of ground. And sometimes it seems like his thoughts aren't really connected. Like how did you Elijah's prayer for, for the famine, you know, first of all, for there to be no rain and then for the rain to come, to like praying for someone to come back to faith or for, to see someone come back to faith? Like what was that connection? But I think... James's point is that, is that there's, there's another kind of search and rescue. Our story this morning was Mark's, Mark, the search and rescue of a man's physical life. There's also the search and rescue that happens over someone's soul. And James offers it as an example of effecting real change, that prayer is go after someone's soul. That If you want to see somebody have a saving relationship with Jesus, an intimate knowledge of Jesus, the most important thing you can do for them is to pray for them. That's what he's connecting right there. How many of you have someone in your life that you're hoping will come to a saving relationship with Jesus, or, or maybe to come back to the faith that they've once drifted from? Someone that you, you, you would like to share your faith with. Can you, can you think about that? Do you have a, a family member, a friend, a coworker, someone that, that you would love to see know Jesus? What do, you, what do we do about that? What's the most important thing to be doing? I would suggest, according to this text, the most important thing to be doing is that we would pray for them. There's other stuff to do as well. There's other stuff like um, sharing our own story. One of the most important things that you can do to to, um, share the life of Jesus with somebody is just tell your story. This is what God's done in my life. This is why I love Jesus. This is why I'm a follower of Jesus, because this is what God did for me. No one can argue with that. So you can do things like that. You can, you can um, pray that you'd be able to show um, just gracious love, undeserved love. When we act with just um, extravagant love towards people, that's a demonstration of God that reflects God. So there are lots of things that we can do, but we should always keep praying. Love people unconditionally, be attentive to opportunities, but always keep praying. So what happens when we pray for one another? Just a couple points here. First of all, what happens when we pray? Something changes. The clear message of James's, this little paragraph within James's letter, is that prayer affects change. Something happens. That only makes sense in the context of what we're talking about here of a a household, a family of brothers and sisters with a heavenly father. Because when we pray, who are we talking to? We're not just like... I don't know, shouting whispers to the cosmos. <laughs> We're not worrying out loud. We're actually talking to a person. We believe that there is an invisible God who is the creator, who did not abandon his creation. Everything that, that we have here, the, this, this miracle of life, this miracle of creation, this world that we live in, even in its fallen state is so amazing. And the creator did not abandon his creation he's still involved he's personally involved we pray because we believe that god is listening that he's good that he's powerful that he can fix broken things that he's that he he's attentive to us and so with that in mind we pray and we put things in his hands so james challenged his readers to not only pray for themselves he he began that paragraph by saying uh, hey, if, if anyone is in trouble, what do you say? If anyone is among you is in trouble, let them pray. But then he said, also involve one another in the things you're asking God for. So if there's something that, that, that is important enough to you that you're praying for it personally, he said, also share that with other people. Invite other people to pray for you. I found myself this week asking, why? Like, why not just keep it direct? I mean, that's like, there's no middleman right there, Right? Why, why do I have to share this with other people? But look what happens when we pray with one another, when we pray for one another. When we share our needs, when we both give prayer and receive prayer, what happens? One of the things that happens is joy. When there is an answered prayer, there's joy. I got to the part in that story where, where the three friends saw Bolin. And it was, it was answered prayer. I mean, it, clearly those guys had been praying. Clearly that was part of their search effort, was to be praying. And when they found him, when their prayers were answered, there was joy. I, have to, I, have to, I think Mark was probably praying on the mountain. And, and, you know, God could have just led him out of the wilderness. When he got off trail, God could have just said, just keep going this way and you'll find the trail. Could have just nudged him in that direction without him even, without him even realizing he was listening to God but God had something different. He involved these three friends. And because of that, there is this shared joy. What else happens? There's humility that's cultivated in sharing. I think that that one of the ways that God forms our character is when we have to ask one another for for prayer, that we, we, we have to be in that place of being needy. I don't know about you. I don't really like being needy. I like being strong and competent and in charge, And when I have to go to somebody and say, I need something. I I need you to partner with me in prayer. I need you to to pray for me because I don't know how to pray. I I need you, I need you to to pray and and agree with me in this. There's a humility. There's an interdependence in sharing. It's a reminder, It, it builds something into us that we're part of a shared family, that we're not just we're not only children with an adopted father. You're not an only child. You, have, uh, you live in a household. You live in one room in his household with brothers and sisters. And God, God wants us to lean into that, to cultivate that. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. Sometimes we, we need other people to pray because we don't know how to pray or we don't have time to pray. This week, um, you know, last Sunday, Pastor Brent shared a story about uh, a medical crisis that his family was, was walking through that's, that's still resolving. But as he was reflecting on it with our staff this week, he said, you know, there was, there, as all that stuff was coming at us and at the very beginning, it was fast and furious and we didn't even have time to pray. He said, we're, we're prayers, but we don't have, we didn't have time to pray, but we experienced that others were praying for us. As, as word went out and, and we asked people to pray, we, we, we felt carried by the prayers of others when we, when we couldn't pray for ourselves. So James, what does he say about praying for one another? He says, Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. James really expects us to pray for one another. He expects us when we find ourselves in crisis, whether that's physical crisis, spiritual crisis, to involve one another in that. And his promise in this passage is that the Lord will raise them up. And I found myself this week asking, what does, he, what does he mean by that? We'll raise them up physically. We'll raise them up emotionally. We'll raise them up spiritually. We'll raise them up someday, like, like resurrection life. Like what, what does he mean by that? We'll, he doesn't actually unpack it. He actually doesn't say. He doesn't unpack what he means by that, but what he does assure us is that God hears our prayers for one another, and that he responds. Earlier, if we were to go back and earlier, the verse right before these paragraphs started, he talked about God being a God of compassion and mercy. And our confidence is that when we ask, God hears and he does something. Now, it doesn't always look like the thing that we're asking for. It doesn't always look like the timeline doesn't always look like. But prayer makes things happen. Prayer, prayer actually is Effective. So he says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Why do you think James connects confessing to one another and praying for one another? I think one of the truths in this passage is that we are not designed to live out our faith this side of eternity or the other side for that matter. We're not designed to live out our faith in isolation. We're designed to be members of a family. Not a bunch of silos, but there's supposed to be an interconnectedness, uh, uh, an organic interconnectedness in our life together. The implication of James' instructions, and listen to this carefully, the implication of James' instructions are that there are things that God has for us that we will only experience in interdependent and humble community with others. There are things that God has for you and for me that we will only experience in humble, interdependent community with one another. There's a humility and an interdependence that's cultivated when we confess to one another. We ask one another for prayer. It's, it's humbling to admit that we need prayer, that we're needy. Actually, Ron Bolin, he, he's, again, he's the lost hiker. The one part he reflects about in the story is he says, he, says that now he's in counseling. This happened back in July. He's in counseling now, and he, he said, I, I find myself just overwhelmingly grateful for my friends, and it's humbling that, that they did that for me. He said, I'm struggling that they, they flew across the country to do that for me. And he says, you know, and the thing is, I would do that for them in a heartbeat. But it's, it's a little bit awkward to be on the receiving side of that. When it comes to character growth, to our formation to be more like Jesus, there are things that God has for us that he wants to do in our character in our hearts and setting us free from sin and cleansing us from the shame and the guilt of sin, but also freeing us from the power of sin. There's things that God wants to do that will only happen in honest relationships with other people. They'll happen as we, as we confess to one another. I, I've got stuff going on that I, I can't get past. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? If you're struggling with, with the power of sin, have you tried confessing to a trustworthy brother or sister? Key, key word is trustworthy, which sends us off on a whole other direction of like, do we have trustworthy relationships? Are we in community where we could conceivably confess to one another? It actually takes time to build that kind of relationship. Sometimes, some things are easy to confess, you know, broke my arm and going to the doctor, would you pray for me? That's not a hard one. I've got cycles of sin that I've been in for a while that I can't seem to break. That one takes a more trusting relationship. It's one of the reasons we're, trying, we're, we're really trying to, to lean into smaller pockets of community. Beyond Sunday mornings, but we're gathering in like life groups, gathering in classes. Because it's those places where we can cultivate relationships that are trustworthy. Not all sickness is connected to sin. Sometimes it is. James says, if, and Jesus dealt with this with his disciples. His disciples, at one point they asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, "No, this isn't about sin." But there are sometimes that it is. Sometimes it's just the product of living in a fallen world. So what happens when, prayer, when we pray for one another? Sometimes healing is released. This week, I, I just asked our prayer team to share some examples of healing being released uh, that are current that would have happened within the last few weeks. Um, got a couple back. Late last month, a gentleman came forward at the end of service uh, for prayer for a bad knee. Uh, it was painful and not stable. As he was being prayed for, there was a movement inside the center of his knee and a sharp reduction in the pain. He came back on Sunday a week later and said that his knee was completely healed. Um, From our food pantry, a man at the pantry requested prayer for his back that was painful and terribly compromised. A week later, he walked up to one of the prayer team members and told him that he had been completely healed. He said a couple of days after he had been prayed for, he woke in the night with an unusual sensation in his back. When he got up, he was healed and he was able to lift his own groceries into the car. That one was on a little bit of a delay, but prayer happened. Something happened. In one of the church services earlier this year, there was a prayer for those with kidney stones. A woman who watched the service wrote in that her son was dealing with stage three kidney failure, so, he lifted up, so she lifted up his name for prayer. Her son improved the first sign that they'd seen of healing, and she wrote that God is healing him and thanked for the prayer team. Um, A young man came a few weeks ago and asked for prayer for more work hours. The next day, he was promoted to a manager's position. (laughs) Maybe more than he was bargaining for. Um, A young woman was admitted to the hospital with a collapsed lung. She was released, but then was in and out of the hospital afterward because the lung kept collapsing. There was a hole in the lung that needed to be repaired and a large blood clot that had to be removed. A prayer request was sent out to the prayer team Members and two weeks later, her x-rays and scans were both 98% clear, and she was able to go home. One last current one. My wife, um, Andrea, was, has been dealing with uh, pain in her jaw for a couple weeks, um, almost like a TMJ type thing. It's new for her, something she hadn't experienced before. Um, we were watching it to see if it was go away. We were kind of deciding, okay, at some point, if this doesn't go away on its own resolve, we need to go see a doctor. And so we were talking about that. So it had been going on for a couple weeks. It was pretty painful. Every time we she'd go to eat something, especially, then it would be especially painful. And then uh, Wednesday night, we had a night of worship and prayer right here. And there was an invitation to come and receive prayer if you needed healing. And her first thought was, well, like, this is a small thing. I should, like, let other people get prayer, right? And that's that sort of that humility type thing of, like, you know, is my stuff, you know, but she decided, all right, now I should go get prayer. So she went and got prayer, and, um, and a couple things happened. One is she really enjoyed the, the, the ladies she got to pray with, uh, enjoyed their interaction, and secondly, she was healed and hasn't had a pain since. So that was, that was Wednesday night. What happens? Sometimes healing is released. Sometimes grace is released. And here's the thing. If, if we were to just take James's letter at the, these words at, just by themselves, stripped of the context of the letter. It sounds like this ironclad promise that when you pray, healing happens. It's like a formula, like get the elders, get the oil. If you don't get prayed, you had the wrong elders. You need more elders. They weren't the righteous elders. You got the wrong oil. You know, It almost comes across like a formula, but if you read the whole letter, it's not like that. James is pretty clear that this side of eternity, there's this waiting. We're waiting in between the first and second coming. And one of the things that's happening is that God's refining our character. And so one of the things he says is that there's times when you're going to suffer. There's times when you're going to experience things that you're praying that God would end, and God's doing something different. And so your prayers are still being answered. It's just that what God's doing is something deeper, more important. And because he's a good father and trustworthy, we can ask him and then we can just put it in his hands. Prayer is the believer's part in cooperating with what God is doing in our world. Whether that's praying for healing, for forgiveness, for salvation, it is a recognition that we can ask our Heavenly Father and then trust ourselves to his goodness, his kindness, his timing, his plans. So a couple last things, and, I'm gonna ask, and then I'm going to ask Brent to come and lead us in a time of actually doing prayer, because we shouldn't just talk about this, right? We should practice it. So we're going to do that in a moment in a guided way, but um, I want to share with you three things that, I would just encourage you about prayer. First of all, pray immediately. Have you ever done this, said to somebody, a Christian brother or sister, I'll pray for you about that, brother, and then forgot, or maybe never really intended to? It can be a culturally, uh, within a Christian culture, it can be a culturally acceptable way to end a conversation. I'll pray for you. If you pray immediately, it breaks the habit of that. And, and, and what I've found is that, that there's times where I sincerely intend to pray for somebody, but I just drift away into busyness. Now I, I, I try to not say, I'll pray for you, but I say, can I pray for you right now? And, and there's an accountability in that. And God works in it. Um, pray scripture. I, I wore this short sleeve shirt today so you guys could see my tattoo. I, I told you about this uh, a few months back. I turned 50 this summer, and I wanted to do something significant for my 50th birthday, and I thought, I want to get a tattoo, but I want it to be a meaningful one. And there's a passage in Mark chapter 7 that has literally marked my life. Um, it's a prayer that, it's a passage I pray through, uh, usually daily, but at least, you know, weekly. I'm in, I'm in this passage, both for myself and for other people. And it's a place where in Mark chapter 7, Jesus, uh, they, they bring Jesus, they bring to Jesus a guy who is deaf and mute and can't speak. And they say, Jesus, would you lay your hand on him? And Jesus considers this man, he considers the brokenness in his life, and then Jesus speaks. And Mark says that he spoke in Aramaic, and he said, Ephatha, which means be opened. And immediately his, his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And so this is, this is the Aramaic word, Ephatha, because that passage has marked my life, and I thought, I want that to mark my body. So. My point in telling you that is a lot of times when I'm praying for you, I go to that passage. Because when I pray scripture, there's something powerful about praying scripture. It's not just praying what I want to happen or what I think should happen, but what I know Jesus has done in the past. And it stirs my faith to say, God, what you did before, would you do it once more? Would you do it again, daddy? You, you, like you healed that guy, like you laid your hand on him and you knew exactly what he needed and when he needed it would you do it again? And when I pray scripture, it awakens my faith and gives me a framework that I I can pray in confidence and boldness. So maybe you have a favorite scripture. If you have a favorite story, pray pray scripture. And lastly, pray methodically. This is something Pastor Mike shared with us. Pastor Mike shared that he's been, when going, going on walks, he's been literally being outside in nature walking. But in his mind, he visualizes himself walking through our offices and he prays for every staff person, either in their office or their ministry environment. And he prays for them by name and just prays, Jesus, would you touch them? He thinks about what he knows about what's going on in their life, in their family or in their ministry. And he prays for them just methodically. And he just works his way through the office. You can do that with your workplace. You can do that with your home. Go through the bedrooms, pray for every member of your household. You can do this with your neighborhood, but you can pray methodically. So we're going to transition. And like I said, I, I, we don't want to talk about this and not actually practice it. So would you welcome Pastor Brent? He's going to come up and lead us in a closing practice of prayer.
1: Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this series on one another's let's stand up together this morning as as Pastor Trevor mentioned earlier uh, my family has had quite a lot of interactions with the medical community in the last two weeks Uh, like it or not it's how it's been (laughs) and uh, you know right now we were just talking about it this week as a staff and uh, the medical community in our community is hurting. They're stressed. They're struggling. There's a lot going on. And it really doesn't matter, you know, honestly, any of our opinions about what's going on. The people matter. And I can have thoughts and opinions about a lot of things, but in the end, as a believer, as a brother and sister in Christ, I'm called to partner with and pray for people. And so this morning, uh, I was reminded as Pastor Trevor spoke, out of 1 out of Thessalonians chapter 5, it's just one little, one verse, four words. Paul says, brothers, pray for us. It's like right at the end, he just kind of tucks it in there. And we don't know exactly what's going on in Paul's life at the moment. We don't know exactly what's happening in that time. But for some reason, right at the end of the letter, right before he says, hey, read this to everybody when it gets there because I miss you all, I love you all, he says, brothers, pray for us. You know, I see if, if you're on social media at all, if you read the news at all, you see a lot of images right now of our medical community. And all of our the healthcare workers and and teams of people that are working so hard right now. And every time I see a photo of them, it's, it just yells that passage, brothers, sisters, pray for us. So this morning, we're going to agree together in prayer for the medical community in our city. Can we do that together? And, you know, there's hospitals, there's clinics, there's nursing homes. There's teams of, of paramedics and county workers all that are uh, trying to move care forward for our community. And they need, they need our prayer. They need us to come alongside them and lift them up. And so uh, today, we're going to agree together. If, uh, if, if you're distancing in the room, that's okay. Um, you, you can just uh, pray there. Uh, if you are online, please join us together in prayer. Uh, if you have a family group here that you're, that you're um, fellowshipping with, you're free to gather together in that family group and, and, and agree together in prayer. But this morning, we're going to lift up people uh, in the medical community and ask God to bless them, to protect them, to strengthen them, to give them grace, to give them mercy, to give them joy, to give them all that they need. So I'm going, to, I'm going to lead us out in prayer, and I'd like us to agree together, and then we're going to do one other activity here uh, this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, we lift up our medical community to you here in this valley. Lord, we lift up every healthcare worker here in this valley, and in Jesus' name, we bless them today. We bless them. We ask that you would encourage them. We ask that you would give them grace. We ask that you would give them joy. We ask that you'd give them rest. We ask that you'd give them hope. Strengthen them. Encourage their hearts. Encourage their minds. Encourage their body. Give them wisdom. Give them great wisdom. Give them solutions, God. Father, give them everything that they need. We ask, Lord. And so now we're going to bring that, the music up just a little bit so you, so you feel comfortable just praying out. And I'd like us, what, what we're going to do right now is we're going to agree together. You just pray out right where you are. And we are going to, like, like, like Pastor Trevor just mentioned Mike doing during the week, mentioning people by name. Mentioning people by name. So anyone that you know in the medical community, That's a a nurse, a doctor, a a paramedic, a a CNA, a tech, any staff, anything like that. Will you just lift them up by name and say, Lord, remember them. Lord, protect them. Lord, keep them. Lord, give them grace. Let's say their names out loud here in this place today. So let's go ahead. Yes, God. Anyone you know by name, just pray them out by name. Mention their name before the throne of God today. there's a lot of members of our church that are uh, members of the medical community as well and some of them don't get to be here in this room with us today for distancing reasons and in order to keep uh, others uh, keep care going for others and so let's lift up people we know by name here that, that are that are a part of the vineyard family if there's anyone you know that's a part of the vineyard family if you are a, a, a medical worker and you are here this morning if you would just lift up one hand we won't we'll just pray from a distance and we'll stretch out our hand towards you so if you see hands going up all over the room would you just stretch out your hand towards somebody yep some back here some over here would you just stretch out your hands toward them right now in the name of jesus we bless every medical worker here in this room this morning and joining us online if you're joining us online would you just let us know you're with us we're praying for you this morning as well right now in the name of Jesus we bless every medical care worker right now in this room today and joining us online in the name of Jesus we bless you with grace we bless you and we encourage you today in Jesus name Lord, we say we're thankful for these people. Lord, today we just say we're thankful for these people. Giving their very best day in and day out, week in and week out. In a dark and discouraging time, we just say thank you for each one of these, God. Thank you for these men and women, God. We say thank you. And Lord, we bless them in Jesus' name. Lord, would you bless them in their health? Would you bless them in their families? Would you bless them in their marriages? Would you bless them in their homes? Would you bless them in their finances? Would you bless and protect and keep them? Take every worry. Take every burden. Lord, I'm asking that you would meet them in every operating room, in every nursing home, in every hospital. Lord, that you would meet them. That they would find your grace in such a powerful way. And that they would be carriers of your grace and your goodness. Everywhere that they go, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit today? And as they leave here, would they just feel buoyed by your grace and your goodness today to carry on and do good works? Lord, we bless them and we encourage them today in Jesus' name. And Lord, we do just lift up, God, we lift up every uh, medical facility. Father, every medical organization here in our community, we ask that you'd give them everything that they need for care in this time. There's a lot going on. Would you give them wisdom? Give them wisdom. Give them courage. Encourage their hearts today, God, we ask. And Lord, we just, we give you this city. Father, we just say you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in Garden City. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in Boise. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in the Treasure Valley. Would you just say, come Holy Spirit to our city and to our valley. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Would you come? We welcome you. You are welcome in this place. Would you come and have your way? Heal the sick, raise the dead, save the lost. God, we ask through us, we're asking God. As we go, God, today to make you visible to our city and our community, would you go with us? Would you bless the work of our hands, God, as we head out of this place today to encourage others, we ask. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. Amen. God bless you. Have an incredible week.
0: Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.